In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My name is Ben Burnett. My guest today is Glenn Hammer from the Texas Association of Business. Glenn, welcome in. Great to be on the show. I have a mountain of questions for you. <laughs> I think as you read your biography, you're interesting. Most of the time... Is there any math? There's no, There will be... All right, we're set. We stay <laughs> in public service unless we do college football, neither of which have anything more to do than adding up points. Very good. When you... Tell everybody, how did you, you're from, you're, you're a very educated guy. Talk to me about growing up and where did you do that? So I still have spent more days on this planet in New York State than any other place, even though I've, get, I've been gone for decades. So I grew up in New York, born in the Bronx. Uh, so the last few years have been a little rough, uh, baseball-wise. Grew up in Yorktown Heights, uh, wound up uh, going to Cornell, and then- It's a uh, great school. Go Big Red. And then uh, from there, though, it was how I wound up here is I wound up going to law school at Arizona State in Tempe, Arizona. That's tough. It was one of the best things <laughs> I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and there got involved in a lot of different political stuff, wound up in D.C. for a while uh, on Capitol Hill and running a, t- a solar trade association, then wound up back in Arizona and uh, worked actually did, did a variety of things, and including running the Arizona Chamber for about 14 years before uh, coming to the great state of Texas about two and a half years ago to run the state uh, chamber here. You've worked for as the chief of staff for a Republican congressman yeah. in the day. Talk, talk to me about what drew you to that and how you built the relationships to go do that. So much of what I talk about is telling the kids, anybody can go do it. Don't be afraid of it. Politics is a spectator sport. The number of people who want to sign up for it are few and far between. I would tell your kids the same thing I tell my kids. Uh, we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. Most of the people who, who seek elected office, regardless of party, are, are doing it for the right reasons. Totally. Uh, the people who work on the staff level are there uh, largely for, for the right reasons. Even more the right reasons. Even even more uh, in a lot, a lot of occasions. And there's very important work that gets done at all levels of, of, of government. You know, as the older I get, the more I realize how important the states are in terms of really shaping the direction of the country. And you think about, you know, our, our good friend, Chris Clark, who runs the Georgia Chamber. Wonderful man. Just think about where this country would be if states like Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and of course, uh, the great state of Texas, I'll put Tennessee in there as well, sure. weren't really doing exceptionally well economically uh, because it's, the, I'll call them, let's call them some of the legacy states like New York, California, Illinois. And it's not good for the United States of America that they are policy basket cases and that people and businesses are moving away from those states. It's, it's the states like Texas, like Georgia, like Florida, like North Carolina, like Tennessee, that are keeping the economic engines of this country uh, going. 
Talk about. And some, I should put Arizona in there as well. A, a, Arizona well, is obviously and absolutely know, I'll put Arizona in there. And even though Arizona and Georgia and North Carolina are more competitive, I'll I'll even put Texas in there from a state by state, left versus right perspective. They're all right to work. Great point. They're all right to work. And yes, that, that's, that's a very important piece of this. That's the uh, that's the thing that I always hearken back to with Chris. Is like you guys can fight about everything you ever want to fight about on Capitol Hill. Do not touch this here. I I a hundred percent agree, and it's right to work. And and here's the thing: people, uh, workers, have so many different opportunities in in these states. I mean, there's, uh, you know, employers care about their employees. I mean, it, it's one of the common themes. I mean, the, the who cares more about uh, an employee, uh, the employer or the government? It's, it's, it's almost always the, the employer. And in states that are well run economically, workers have many different opportunities. I'm not a globalist in the sense of how people use it in the phrase today. I'm a globalist in that when I hear that Georgia is the greatest state to live, work, and play for like 900 years in a row, I'm like, whose mom was scoring that? And it's well, not, they're they're wrong. It's Texas, it, but, well, but but I, I would say honorable mention. Honorable. Well, and so I I said that to say this. I think Georgia does a lot of things extremely well. I have had Brad Nessler from CBS Sports this year, who is great. I've had Mike Pence. I've had all. I've had Chris Clark. I've had all sorts of people on in the fall. And just because you get the right name doesn't mean that you get the right interview. And when you confirmed, I told somebody today, I, I had it circled when you said yes. I was like, Texas has more of the success of this country on a per capita basis than anywhere. And the other part about that is that they also face an equal number of challenges looking forward. Growth is growth is good. So when you when you when you think about challenges, uh, I, I would rather face the challenges of a growing state than a contracting state. Totally. So you look at the challenges of my birth state in New York. Let's talk about New York for a quick second. Love New York. Okay, it was the center of the universe, universe totally for, for many years. Uh, when I was born, New York had far more people than Texas. It had far more people than Florida. Now Florida has zoomed past New York. It has millions of more people. And if you told me that that would be the case in this part of my life, I would say you're drinking too much concentrated orange juice. Right. California's losing people. California's a beautiful state. It's awesome. It almost takes extraordinary skill to figure out a policy environment where people and companies are fleeing the, the golden state. But that's what's happening. And if you look at the trend lines, Texas now has the second largest GDP, second largest population. We're 31 million and growing. It's unbelievable. We have more Fortune 500 companies than any other state, 55. Governor Abbott correctly calls us the headquarter of headquarters. But I would expect by 2040, 2045 at the latest, Texas will have more people than California and our GDP will be greater. So the trajectory at this point, I believe, is, is unstoppable, both in terms of the great policy direction of Texas. And I say this with regret because for the United States to be operating in all cylinders, we, we need all 50 states to do well. But it doesn't appear that California is going to change its policy direction uh, anytime soon. And that's that's unfortunate. One of the things that I think is just part and parcel unique, not to Texas, but it is unique to Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California, is being the first place that immigrants 
come to when they cross the border or in Texas's case, the river. And it has been a fight over many forms and fashions for the last 25 years of a pathway to citizenship as George W. Bush wanted to do it with several, you can call them rhino establishment Republicans. Not having that conversation then was a mistake. It is, well, immigration has become an even more difficult issue, and it's also linked to, to, to trade. So, you know, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it this way, is that one of the comparative advantages of the United States, and one of our, our, our top ones, is that the best and the brightest and the hardest working people on this planet want to come to the United States and then want to contribute. Totally. My, my wife is one of those individuals. Her, fam- her family is from Israel. Her, her, my, my father-in-law, I admire the man, 82, 83, works harder than anyone that I know, lives, lives uh, now in, in L.A. With, with my in-laws, and every single day fights hard for the economic success of this country and loves the United States. I mean, my in-laws buy out all the American flags during July 4th. With, with that said, right now, uh, our immigration challenges have reached uh, a boiling point. Uh, and I, I, we could spend the whole show pointing, you know. I don't want to do that. I, w- I want to get but, to a place where it is an issue where at certain points everyone has been a good actor and everyone has been a bad actor. And they have changed places and it's, the, it's still imperfect. So, so what's going on, so when we talk about Dreamers and DACA, these individuals, they're – they love this country. They've grown up in the United States. I mean, many have come here when they were two years old. And I, I used to say this when I was in Arizona uh, and I moved from New York. When you think about the average DACA recipient, who'd probably been in Arizona more years than I was. Sure. And now in Texas, I've been here two and a half years, and you have great DACA recipients, well over 100,000 in the state of Texas. They've grown up in Texas. They've contributed to Texas. During the pandemic, many helped save lives. They're contributing. There should be a path to legalization and totally citizenship, yeah. uh, d- no question. But then you look at, uh, I think the technical term is asked backwards, our immigration system where you could have people coming from anywhere in the world and because of a loophole that the cartels are exploiting, and that's our asylum credible fear loophole, you have people now from all over the world deciding, and I understand why, uh, they want to come to the United States. And it's creating huge problems in border states like Texas, like Arizona. But also take a look in New York, where you have the governor, the mayor, both pretty liberal Democrats, fighting the Biden administration because they're overwhelmed. And Massachusetts. And Massachusetts and Illinois and Chicago. This is going to require a bipartisan solution. And to me, the the way we should think about this is this country needs as many good people that want to work hard as possible. And we need good goods. So it's good trade and good immigrants. And we want to keep out bad goods. Fentanyl is killing 70,000 Americans. We want to keep fentanyl out of this country. And we want to keep bad people with criminal records who, who want to do the country harm out. We need both parties to work hard towards those goals. They're very difficult. It's easy to politicize. But I think in Chamberville, we have to keep the focus on we have great workforce needs. We all win with, with trade. Heck, I started my day the way I always started. I have avocado toast. And my avocados are from Mexico. Uh, usually my tomatoes are from uh, Texas. Or Trade, trade is good. Uh, good immigrants are good. But, but, but we have a very severe problem right now because there's so many 
millions of people that, that understandably want to come to this country, and we have to have an orderly way uh, to accept immigrants and to decide who comes in and who doesn't. As, as, a, as a guy who has spent time in two border states at this point, yeah. I know that NAFTA is something that administration after administration after administration sought to implement in this country with Reagan and Clinton and Bush and bipartisanly, and it was still hard. And it has seen really, really positive things. And nothing lasts forever in the same way that it was intended. And when I watch things in the United States about nearshoring with Laredo, Texas, which I think has to be one of the most fascinating places in the entire country. And I think that it's probably a success story and a, are we sure we're ready to do this kind of thing? It's, it's for those of you who don't know, it, it is the number one inland port in the country. It's the number one inland port. It is, it is a, a fantastic city. They are absolutely ready for it. They've been represented for years by a terrific member of Congress, a, a very conservative Democrat, Henry Cuellar. Uh, that, that city, uh, it's not an accident that it's the number one in, inland port in the United States. Knowing that Laredo has seen success beyond what people thought possible 15 years ago, and knowing that there are other countries who are leveraging Mexico and Nuevo Leon and the provinces within 100 or 150 miles in order to circumvent the taxes on goods and services in this country. I like free trade. You like free trade. And I wish that those conversations could be absolutely void of politics. But it seems like there are adversary countries who have set up shop within 100 or 150 miles of Texas that may not have the United States' best interest at heart and are exploiting that law. Do you think that it's something that needs to be revisited and talk about the pros and cons of both? Well, I'm not sure if you're referring to companies from China setting setting up shop. Uh, I let you say it. We, We should never allow countries or companies to circumvent laws. Now, where I think there's an incredible opportunity, I'm a big sports sports fan. We need to make sure Team North America, that's Canada, the United States, and Mexico, are as strong as possible to compete with other regions. The most important region for us to compete against, both for our economic and national security, is, is Asia, with China is, is the lead player. And so anything we could do to strengthen our legal trading and migration flows in North America is, is a positive thing. And NAFTA was undoubtedly good for border states and the United States and Mexico and Canada. I mean, trade has exploded. With that said, I would say, you know, when, when uh, uh, Donald Trump was president, he called it the worst trade deal ever. I called it the best trade deal ever. But we both agreed it needed to be updated. And it was updated very effectively as part of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA. And you were involved in that process. I was involved in Arizona, and we were very proud that every member of the Arizona congressional delegation uh, supported uh, that, that legislation. I wasn't here at the time, but it was a much bigger deal, arguably, that the entire Texas delegation yeah. uh, supported it. And, and I just want to give you know a, a former ambassador, Robert Lighthizer, did a brilliant job of rebuilding 
support for trade agreements in the U.S. Congress. It actually passed with the second most votes of any trade agreement in the United States history, the most being the first free trade agreement we entered into with the state of Israel in uh, 1986. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Talk to the kids at home about how you have seen Laredo explode and the scale, even though it is a reported story, I would argue it is an underreported story. Well, just to get the scale, I'll, I, I think it's important first to zoom out just in terms of the importance of the trading relationship between Texas and Mexico. It's $285 billion of direct goods between Texas and Mexico. And so we're just building everything. Together. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's, you know, it's Tesla, it's aerospace, it's produce, it's it's semiconductors. Texas is the number one export state in the country, including the number one semiconductor and tech, tech export. But what's also important when you talk about Laredo and the other ports, and we have more ports in Texas than any other state by far, is that of the 700 or so billion dollars and quickly growing, $700 billion worth of, worth of trade between the United States and Mexico, 81%, over $450 billion, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, comes through Texas. So these ports, when you think about Laredo, the largest inland port in the country, these ports are responsible for the goods that our American and Canadian brothers and sisters have right. come to rely on. So the, 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 the stakes of making sure that we have a well-functioning, low-friction, properly staffed with the right infrastructure port at Laredo is, is extremely important and has strong bipartisan support. Senator Cruz, Ted Cruz, has been working on a bipartisan measure to make it easier to permit uh, upgrades to our, our port infrastructure, uh, which is very important in, in cities like Laredo. So the, the good news here is that on, on some of these infrastructure infrastructure, trade issues, there's quite a bit of bipartisan support uh, within the congressional delegation. Texas is historically, I I won't say the most, it's either there or Alaska that are the most business friendly towards fossil fuels. It certainly has the most scale with with the largest workforce. And we have seen the tenor around the utilization of fossil fuels change. I think it's a mistake. I'm not against clean energy. And clearly, you are not against clean energy. I used to run the Solar Energy <laughs> Industries Association. So, yeah. How would you describe the mischaracterization of the importance of fossil fuels in 2023 through 2040? And, and what mistakes are made politically towards the industry as a whole today? Well, I'll say Texas Association of Business, we're all the above. I mean, we were like everything. We, we, we like everything. We need, you know, Elon Musk, uh, who lives not too far from our office somewhere, uh, you know, and obviously Tesla, SpaceX, all, all these different companies, you know, he has said correctly, in my view, that whatever we think we need in terms of more energy, we're going to need a lot more of it. You think of things like artificial intelligence. Totally. 
it's chips, it's huge amounts of energy that are difficult even for our regular human minds to get our, you know, to, to get our hands around. So Texas is number one in oil by far. Texas is number one in natural gas. But I'm also proud to say Texas is number one in wind by far. By the end of this calendar year, Texas will likely have more solar installed than any other state. Uh, we have the largest announced green hydrogen plant. There's major carbon sequestration operations going on. There's a lot of excitement what might be possible in geothermal. So we need it all. And the, and the Permian Basin yeah. is the most important energy area for this country's security that, that exists. And, and you, make, you can make an argument it's extremely important to world security in terms of supplying a lot of the, the, the fuel that our friends in Europe need, particularly with a war you know, raging in Ukraine. Talk about the growing cities. Houston is clearly a coastal town. We, we gave a lot of credit to the port in Laredo, the inland port that no one knows about that is growing. But Houston is one of the five largest cities in the country. And then it's got the metroplex of Dallas and you go west yeah. and then it really turns into your agriculture and machinery. You know, I, in Georgia, we call them rural jobs in Georgia. <laughs> in Texas, I'm not sure that you get away with that so easily. That's more of like, well, this is Texas. Well, it's funny when I was, uh, you know, in- interviewing for this job, I, I like saying now uh, I was misinformed that people told me that Texas was a state. Texas is not a state. It's a country. Yes. And you feel it just going around. I mean, there's great pride in being a Texan. There's great pride in the United States. But these different regions have their own economic engines. So Houston is uh, the fourth largest city. I think, I think Phoenix is number five. San Antonio is actually number seven. Dallas, I believe, is number nine. And Austin is number 11. So we, and, and all of these areas are, are growing. El Paso is growing. South Texas is is growing south texas where a lot of the spacex stuff oh yeah happens the border i mean when you talk about the the metroplex area the dallas area what's going on in dallas and fort worth is really incredible and i'll just say two two great leaders and and mayor johnson and mayor parker in in fort worth are a reason why those areas keep growing but the economy of the dallas area alone and you could tell this to Glenn Youngkin, a, a rice product basketball player, is greater than the state of Virginia. Sure, just the Dallas, you know, metroplex, metro, metroplex area. So it's just it's it, it's the the economy of the state is is just massive. And and maybe you you feel sort of the same thing in Georgia. You know, when I watch the uh, Republican debates, a lot of doom, a lot of gloom. I go around the state of Texas. It's like morning in America every day. Every day, people are optimistic. They're working hard. It doesn't really matter on the on the on the party. People feel like the the best days for Texas are ahead of us. As good as the days are today, there's a lot of optimism for tomorrow. So you know, it's hard for me to speak to what's going on in the 49 other states, but there's something special at this point in time in the state of Texas. You at one point ran the GOP or were the chairman of the GOP in the state of Arizona, which I think has. <laughs> yes, I was. When, when, when they cared about electing Republicans. When they, when, ooh. When, they, when they cared about electing Republicans. I want to ask you about Senator McCain. Yeah. Knowing him in the way that you did, just talk about him. Well, thank you for one of the greatest statesmen to have ever lived. Just just uh, a model American who loved this country, and you want to talk about playing through the tape. I'm going to tell this quick story. Is uh, It's his final weeks of his life. A friend of mine who ran the Pennsylvania Chamber at the time 
was honoring uh, someone who was a POW, was 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 in basically the same uh, circumstances. Ha- circumstances. The Hanoi Hilton was Senator McCain and asked, could McCain do a video? This is like the final two weeks of McCain's life. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But I, I asked his people, and no, he wasn't able to do a video. But what Senator McCain did do is he wrote a beautiful letter that was read after he had passed away. That's running through the tape. That's John McCain. And, and McCain, you know, won every election uh, by a landslide, brought people together, always understood the importance of, of governing. And, you know, I'd argue you took, take a look at during his prestigious tenure in both the U.S. House of Representatives and in the U.S. Senate. He was involved in a lot of uh, important legislation, particularly on the defense side, that will endure for generations. I just you, you get some of the we'll call them legends of the game, right? He he well is said. he is uh, he's kind of one of those. You, you might he would take exception to this, but it was like the woman who needs no introduction is like if he walked into the uh, room, it had to be, and it was any room in America. Electric, electric. He would go in like you felt like he was a fighter pilot. It would just go in. It was just like the energy, and it was usually you know an entourage of younger staffers, and just that burst of energy and the second he arrived he just had he had the entire audience in his trance and and another thing that i really respected about senator mccain is i got a chance during his last reelect to introduce him at a few different events and we're in a very conservative place in in arizona and sometimes you know he, he would he didn't always do well in those crowds well he was being challenged by someone who he beat by a gazillion points and at you know and it got to four or 500 people in, I think it was Kingman, Arizona. And I, I asked, you know, do you want me to do note cards for questions? How would you like to do that? Because I, I wanted to Good help, experience. I wanted, well, I wanted to help also protect him from tough questions. And I'll never forget, I still feel the look. He's like, give them the microphone. I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. So he didn't care. Questions, hard, easy. He was going to answer them. And I learned a lot from that uh, exchange. You have said a lot of nice things about people on the other side of the aisle, so I'm going to ask you critical questions about ours. Sure. What changes do you think the Republican Party need to make looking forward in order to maintain, I don't want to win on electoral votes. I don't want to win by the margins. If people look and move to Georgia or Texas or Tennessee or Florida, we beat people's asses. And I, you know, I talked to Chris and I talked to Burt Brantley, who was the former deputy economic development commissioner for the state of Georgia. And he now runs the Savannah Chamber of Commerce. And he goes, man, we love those guys in Texas because we didn't compete over the same stuff. He's like, they were typically, you want some, somewhere in the middle of the country around any number of industries. That's awesome. He goes, man, if you wanted an East Coast presence, you didn't look there. And he said, so it was, he said, they were incredible partners of ours. He goes, now, we hated Florida more than we hated <laughs> Texas, and Texas got everything. But what changes does the party need to make looking forward to tell the story? Because there is no reason in America in 2023 slash 2024 that this is remotely competitive. And it is. Candidates matter. Uh, governing matters. Civility matters. You know, I I. I consider myself a, a Reagan Republican. You know, that's boring and business friendly. Well, <laughs> well, you, you take a look. Yeah. And, and that sense of optimism. And then I look, you know, at, on, on the Democratic side, I think during the, the 90s when I worked on Capitol Hill 
And a lot of my Republican friends who worked on the Hill, we think very nostalgically back to the Bill Clinton administration. Totally. Uh, the Robert Rubin Treasury. I mean, I could think of a number of times where the Treasury and OMB director of Bill Clinton would shut down non-military extra spending requests from Republicans. So it was, it was a very centrist administration. And the country with the Republican Congress and a Democratic president was more united than it has been since since and and for decades before. In fact, I remember being in an APAC American uh, Israel Public Affairs Committee meeting in D.C. late 90s. Frank Luntz was speaking, 500 people, probably evenly Republican and Democrat. And he asked people, how many people here feel better today than they do five years ago? Every hand went up. That doesn't happen anymore. If the Republicans are in the White House, Republicans will generally feel good. If Democrats are in the White House, so Democrats will feel good. And, and the country needs to get back to a point where that number is much higher, regardless of who is occupying the White House. To, your, to the point that you just made, I was having a barstool conversation at, at, at a steakhouse with people I didn't know, which is great. And it came up about who do I think is the best president of my lifetime? And I said, well, I don't know if I would say it is the, he is the best president of my lifetime. He is probably the most effective in my 40 years is probably Bill Clinton. And it kills me a little bit to let that out, but he made Newt Gingrich a partner. <laughs> well, he, he really he really did. And, and and you take a look at it, though. But, you know, Bill Clinton and his administration did something uh, pretty, pretty unique that not a lot of executives do, regardless of party in any state. And, and what is that? His people would get very engaged. His administration would get very engaged in legislative activity and not not in a overhanded, we're going to veto and all these threats, but really as partners, that word partners, they really rolled up their sleeves on some of these issues, some of the crime bill stuff, welfare reform, balanced budgets. There, there are quite a few pieces of legislation even if you take a look at one of the more uh, harder-edged immigration proposals, the 1996 immigration law, who was the president at the time? Yep. It was Bill Clinton. So you had all of these areas where he really worked very well after he got hit hard in the 94 midterms. He really did pivot, and his administration worked beautifully with the Republican Congress. And, and that's why you, you fast forward to the end of the 90s. This country felt really, really good about where it was going. As the CEO of the essentially the Texas Chamber, the Texas Association of Business, we'll call it the Texas Chamber so people are familiar with it all over the place, and you look at 2024 and the presumptive battle that we're all going to see, how do you navigate that with your role, knowing for the 30 minutes we have had this yeah. conversation, I don't have to wonder about a lot. Even though you can say good things about President Trump's administration, and even though you have said nice things about Democrats, I don't take you as a guy who's thrilled with the two options. Well, I, this country is going to need generational change sooner rather than later. I think that's pretty obvious, and I think that's why you see in all the polling results, I'm not breaking any it's news age. here. It's, it's age. And, you know, I, I think that the primaries that are going on in the presidential side, I, I'm going to predict uh, there's going to be major surprises on, on, on both sides. And, and I think you see a lot of different things building that may start connecting. One, you know, Senator Romney saying he's going to step down. And, he, and I'm old and so are they. 
uh, Senator Feinstein, unfortunately, pass, passing away. I, I do think the pressure is going to start building in both parties to find uh, a nominee that is, is of a different generation. That's just, you know, that's, I'm going to say that. I don't know if that is what will really happen, but it, it does feel to me like the country is 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 ready for that change and, and would like to see uh, a different set of options. You know, we talk about navigating that. What does Texas look like in 10 years? We I know Micron and the other, you know, giant chipset manufacturers, you alluded to it earlier. What is the industry that Texas, and I, I hate to say this because I think you guys have pretty much everything, but what is the industry that you think Texas is the best position to take an even larger role in today? over where it is in 2023. You know, the the thing is this economy is incredibly diversified. And 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 part of the reason, you know, that the state's gone through booms and busts in energy from those experiences made a decision to diversify. I'll say Arizona really did sort of the same thing after the property bust during the, the you've seen Intel and companies of the like invest, yeah. you know, in Pat Gelsinger and like really really good Companies pick that side of the country because it's closer to California, which may be where the workforce is. So, but if you're forcing me to pick a few industries, the semiconductor industry were extremely well situated to do well. The major announced and actual investments from Samsung, from uh, Texas Instruments, from uh, the Taiwanese company Global Wafers. Uh, We export more semiconductors than any other state. And the state of Texas also uh, invested this past legislative session $1.2 billion into a Texas CHIPS Act and other activities for our universities and our community colleges to have the resources they need to train the engineers and the technicians required for these jobs. $1.2 billion. That is, Georgia is a state of means. And when you let numbers out like that, it's almost like, how does anybody compete with it? With the politics that you have here. It's so even even the left leaning folks here know that business is the tail that wags the dog. And it's like and the size and it's just embarrassing. Well, well, and and space is another area, you know, with with Musk and SpaceX and 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 NASA and and Boeing and a lot of other companies doing all sorts of interesting things in aerospace, Lockheed. You know, the states also invested about $350 million this past session uh, into space activities. So the, the state's putting its money where its mouth is. And, you know, one of the reasons we're able to do that, and you're sort of getting at this, is we had a $33 billion surplus. California had a $33 billion deficit, just yeah. saying. And Brian Kemp loves to tell people he had a $6 billion surplus. <laughs> and so I don't say that. That's no, a great it, thing. Like it, it, it is a great thing. But what I love about, you know, when we say a $33 billion surplus, our personal income tax is zero. California's is 13.3%. We cut property taxes in this state by $18 billion. By, by keeping taxes low, regulations light, the tax dollars are flowing in because humans are moving in, companies are moving in. I mean, on net, we're picking up 1,100 people or so on net every single day in the state of Texas. It's amazing. Glenn Hammer, thank you for the opportunity today. I appreciate the, the chance to to be here and, and talk about 
you know, what makes Texas so special. And, and you know, when I think about a big part of it is having a, a great governor uh, and economically a, a governor that's focused on economic development day in, day out with a with a great team. And, and Governor Greg Abbott has put a ton of time into making sure that he's working with businesses in a partnership to really grow the economy. And I'll, I'll just also say, you know, when I look at a, a state like Georgia with, with Governor Kemp, and it's, it's, it's clear the philosophy is, is similar as well, that, that the view of business and job creators is, is a positive one. That makes a huge difference. And when you contrast to some of the states that are flailing, like Illinois, like New York, like California, it's extremely important to have a governor that really serves as the chief economic development officer well, of a state. And you take it, you, you, you kind of took it from me. I put it in a different <laughs> way that you may steal. They're the CEO of a given state, but they are also the CMO of the state. And if they do not have their act together, nobody wants to go invest in a place that people fight all the time. And I know that there are tremendous disagreements at the Georgia General Assembly or in the Texas House. I understand that some of them are on the news a lot. And if I were Governor Kemp or Abbott, I would be like, you guys get in my office. And the beautiful thing is in Texas, uh, the parties really work very, very well together on both sides of the aisle. When it comes to economic development and jobs, there's there's really a unified agreement within the political leadership, both sides of the aisle and the rank and file, that it's very important to keep the Texas economy uh, going. But, but I, the importance, though, of that, and you're right, chief marketing officer, chief economic development officer, in our case, it's, it's Governor Greg Abbott, is extremely important that he's he or she is the person that really sets sets the tone for business in a state this has been another episode of the ben burnett show we'll see you guys next week everybody this morning in the atlanta airport no one's missing a meal on mac wilburn's watch with 11 restaurants to serve passengers he's got dining for every destination And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com.